It's so cold that I didn't realize when I woke up this morning that I needed to allow time to scrape the ice on my windshield. We don't have to do that in California, I have to tell you. That's, that's not a skill that I've learned. So working on that one, but uh, no, but it is really, it is, it is just really great to be here. I have been looking forward to being here with you. You all are known as a missional church, you are known as a church that gets out there. You have generously raised this $40,000 that is going to the Congo through Paul Carlson Partnership. This is an extraordinary gift, and I just want to say thank you. Just thank you so much for that. But the reason that we are all here together today is to celebrate the great country of Congo. Congo is the second largest country in Africa. It is half the size of the United States. It is a place that we think of as being very minerally rich. It has some of the most hospitable, beautiful people in the world. It is one of the most gorgeous countries I've ever visited. And in fact, I would say of the 14 countries in Africa that I have worked, I find Congo to be one of the most fascinating and complex countries on the African continent. So let me ask you, when I say Congo, this is a congregation that's been talking about Congo, think in your head, what, what is the word that comes to mind first for you? Typically, we think Congo, and then we go Africa. And typically, the word that would come to mind for the average person, the next word would be poverty. And poverty is an appropriate word. This is the poorest country in the world today. Out of 184 countries in this world, Congo is the most impoverished with the lowest GDP. We are talking about a place of material need. So we have to step back and ask ourselves, the most impoverished country in the world, what does that mean? What is poverty? And here in the States, we're talking about poverty a lot. It's been in the papers quite a bit. Most recently, um, the 50th commemoration of LBJ, President Johnson's War on Poverty. We're hearing about a lot of anti-government programs to try to help the poor. Education programs, hunger programs, programs to, wa to raise the minimum wage. There's a lot of discussion about poverty. And when we think of this program, the definition that comes to mind seems to be pretty clear. It's about an economic and financial reality where one does not have the resources to meet their own material needs. It's not a coincidence that in the scripture, poverty is mentioned over 2,100 times. That's a lot of airtime in the Bible, 2,100 times. Jesus calls us to care for the poor, to live as he did, to care for the poor as he did, and to do what Jesus would do, as in Matthew 25, 40, as you have done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you have done it 
unto me. A verse that's familiar to all of us that we think of as the good news for the poor. So who are the poor around you? Can you think of a person now in your life, think of a person who you would think of as one you would define as poor that you intersect with semi-regularly? While you're thinking about that, I tell you, years ago, um, my husband and I were holding a uh, Bible study in our warm tropical climate in California in the Silicon Valley. And uh, as we were talking, um, one, of the, one of the friends there on the couch mentions the homeless shelter in our neighborhood. And we're like, what homeless shelter in our neighborhood? Well, you know, the homeless shelter around the corner in our neighborhood. Like, we don't know what you're talking about. So the next thing you know, a week later, we are all over there looking into this homeless shelter to see what it is, how the, the people that meeting the people who were there, and just getting a sense of um, the facility. And before you knew it, we had signed up to provide a monthly lasagna dinner for over 100 people. Thank you very much. And so now on a monthly basis, we would go in, and we would set up this big, long tables, and we would set up the food, and then we'd put on your plastic gloves because, you know, you have to do that, the whole, you know, regulation thing. And then the next thing you know, the 100 people would line up on this side of the table, and we would be standing there with our arms out, ladling out the food on this side of the table. And it would be them on that side of the table and us on this side of the table. And I have to tell you, this, this was a good thing. We in the Silicon Valley are pretty fast-paced people. We're just kind of cranking like this. And you probably know something about this. Our lives are full, our lives are busy. Taking time out to go serve 100 people, we were intentionally wanting to reach out to the marginalized who were right there in our community. We had our kids doing this with us. It was a good thing. But I have to tell you, each time I left, I, I had this empty feeling in me. There was just this sense about the fact that I didn't know I wasn't learning anything about the people there. And I began to wonder about their stories. And I began on how they wanted to know how they felt about being on the other side of the table. Well, the World Bank was kind of wondering this too. And over the years, they have actually done that. They have asked poor people how do you feel about being poor? They asked over 60,000 people in 60 countries, how do you feel about being, being poor? And they've produced four volumes of, of information about what it feels like to be poor in, a, in books called Voices of the Poor, if you want to take a look at this. Here are some of the quotes for what it feels like to be poor. For a poor person, everything is terrible. Illness, Humiliation, shame. We are afraid of everything. We depend on everyone. No one needs us. We are like garbage that everyone wants to get rid of. Another quote. 
When I don't have any food to bring my family, I borrow, I beg. I feel ashamed standing before my children, and I'm not well when I'm unemployed. During the past two years, we've not celebrated any holidays with others. We cannot afford to invite someone to our home. And the lack of contact leaves one depressed and creates a sense of depression and low self-esteem. When one is poor, she has, to, has no say in public. I feel inferior. And finally, I feel powerless and I don't feel heard. What words do you hear in those quotes? Fear, isolation, powerlessness, humiliation. Whereas most of us would be asked about poverty would point to our material deprivation the poor actually describe themselves in more of these social and psychological terms. But God intended all of us to live the fullness of life, and people are, should be able to fulfill their callings of glorifying a God by working and supporting themselves and supporting their families with the fruit of their own labor. Well, we were so excited to be serving the folks at the homeless shelter, but there was that great big table between us. And as I thought back on it, I thought, you know, there were a lot of eyes that were kind of downcast as they were walking across the table, and a kind of a lot of diverted eyes. And I thought of these quotes and thought about what it must feel like to always be on the receiving side of the table. Jesus has something to say to us about sending and receiving. And if you have your Bibles, you can open to John 20. And we're going to be looking at John 20, 19 through 22. And I'll go ahead and start reading that for us. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and he said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. His disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Lord has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus is appearing to the disciples for the very first time after his death, after his crucifixion. And the disciples, not really anticipating Jesus, are now all huddled up in the upper room. The verse says that the doors are locked, and they're actually operating in fear. They are panicky. They are fearful for their lives. They have just lost their Lord. 
He has been crucified. They don't know what to do, but what they have done is they're huddled together and they're just seeking protection. What they are looking for is protection. They are in fear of their lives. They don't know what to do. And then there is a surprise entrance by Jesus. Now, Jesus appears to them, and you can see in your verse, Jesus is saying, so good to see you all huddled up here, banded together. Let's make sure that you stay protected here for a couple of years. You know, I'll get you the rations. I'll get you the supplies. We'll get you food. How about if we get a couple armed guards to make sure that you're protected? And how about some money so we can build a fortress around you? And then that way, you'll stay nice and safe and protected, right? Right? No, no, that's not what Jesus says. What Jesus says is, peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. I send you, James. I send you, John. I send you, Peter. And don't you just wonder what Jesus is thinking right now? You know, I just have this sense that Jesus wants to say, you knuckleheads, what are you doing here? I've just spent three years modeling for you how to be the church. We've just gone through these three years of healing folks, of being about the poor, of being about the widows, of being about the downtrodden, and here you are locked up. Wait a minute. Did, you know, Hello, did anybody, did anybody watch what was happening over the last three years? Don't you just get a sense of Jesus like going, what are you doing here? But it's not what his response is. What he says is, as the Father sent me, so I send you. Here is the Holy Spirit to guide you. And now you are the sent church. You are the sent church. Crossview, we all are the sent church. I'm blessed to have a number of pastors in my life from around the world. It's been one of the huge blessings to be involved in, um, in the ministry in the international development world that I've been in. And one such pastor is a Ugandan bishop. His name is David, and he has pastored me for now over, over 20 years. There was this mega church pastor who had um, a vision for Africa and asked if this Ugandan bishop David and I would meet with him. And he was about to launch his program for Africa and he was seeking some counsel. So we agreed to, uh, to meet with him. And let's say the name of this mega church pastor is Henry. So we listened to Henry for over an hour as we listened to this godly, beloved man who we highly respect share his plan and his revelation with us to send over 14,000 Americans over to Africa and to minister to the people there. The Africans are poor, he said. They suffer from injustice. They need to bring the light of Jesus to them, he said. We have plans for raising funds for care packages. We will send teams. We are praying. We are on our knees. We are taking God's command seriously to bring good news to the poor. We need to bring 
Jesus to Africa. They need Jesus in Africa. They need us to bring Jesus to Africa. And I wondered how David was feeling as we were listening to this. And there was a quiet. But see, David had grown up in this small rural village in Uganda without any electricity, with the most basic of possessions. His mother and father were two of the most caring, giving, evangelizing people I have ever met. And in fact, his parents dedicated their lives to do in Africa what Henry was talking about. And in fact, this program that Henry was talking about was already taking place in Uganda. So I'm waiting for David's response. See what he's going to have to say about this. And then I hear this, hallelujah, amen. Let's sing a rousing chorus of the doxology. Okay, so we're praise God from whom? Okay, we're, we're praising God. Just kind of waiting what in the world is going to happen next. And then David says, Henry, who is the sent church? Are you the sent church? And who are we in Uganda? Are we the receiving church? Henry, when will you stop treating us in Africa like the receiving church? When will you stop crippling us and treating us like the receiving church? When will you stop trying to fix things for us? And when will you recognize that in Uganda and in Africa, we are part of the sent church too. Jesus came to this earth for all the nations. He came to this earth for all believers, all cultures, all countries. Jesus came for the world. And the numbers happen to stack up for this because today that we know almost 80% of the world's Christians live in the non-Western world. Today, once we considered the third world, and then we called it the two-thirds world, then we called it the emerging world, and then we called it the developing world, and the majority, whatever we want to call it, 80% of today's Christians live outside of the West. And around the world, in Congo, in Uganda, in whatever country we want to talk about outside of the West, here is the Sent Church too. So how does this play out in a world where Jesus calls us right here to incarnational living? How does it mean for us to identify with the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, for mercy and justice, and to walk humbly with the poor? How do we identify with the poor? 
How do we identify with someone in prison or with the Sudanese victims of war profiteering or the land grabbing in Zimbabwe or the thousands of refugees as casualties of the Congolese 20-year war? These are stories in the paper. These are faces on a television screen. And how can we even begin to identify with one situation? Well, this is a primary question that we asked at my church at Menlo Park Presbyterian. Okay, I'm going to confess now I'm Presbyterian. Okay, so, you know, I just, I hope I can, you accept me here. Um, but at this church, we launched a five-year multi-million dollar initiative to go deep in one place, and that was in Ethiopia. Our hope was to provide support for the marginalized while sharing the gospel message. Now, can you imagine what happens when you've announced, um, and I'm the chair of this, that we've announced that we are going to have a multi-million dollar investment in Ethiopia? and some of it, there's a little nest egg already in the bank. Can you just imagine the line that's beginning to line up outside my door? Can you imagine the calls that are beginning to come in? I have now become the most popular, play, popular person in the history of the church, I think. Every person, neighbor, my dog, all has a plan for my life, for this initiative, as we're about to launch this endeavor to go in to Ethiopia. And as we were thinking about this and how we would entertain projects or proposals for funding and to think about how we were going to invest in Ethiopia, I couldn't help but think of my friend David and other African leaders who were kind of virtually sitting right there next to me and thinking, as we invest in Ethiopia, how do we do this where we will not lead with a I will fix you solution? How do we not lead with a financial solution? And as we think about Congo, we think about how do we approach Congo? Congo is a place of huge need. Over six million people have died in Congo in the last 20 years. In fact, it has been such a long, drawn-out war that the media and the American public, we've just lost interest. 20 years of this. Children are dying of, of very preventable diseases in Congo. So there is this horrific inequality between what is here and what is Congo. And how is it that we get our heads wrapped around this? How do we identify with this? We know we must steward the financial resources God has entrusted to us, where the inequitable reality of our lives here in the U.S. with those of our brothers and sisters in Congo demand a response. And I think this has to be at the heart and the core of Crossview Church as I see the generosity that is already pouring out. But what is our appropriate response? How do we continue to move forward? What does this partnership look like? My first action, Brad was sharing with you, I'm brand new in this role with Paul Carlson Partnership. 
My first action was to call President Boka, who's the president of the Covenant denomination in Congo. This is the person that I would be working with the most. There are twice the number of Congo church, of Covenant churches in Congo as there are here in the United States. And I wanted to learn about his vision for Congo. I wanted to learn about his life experiences. I wanted to hear about what would make a difference there. And we had these week, we've had these weekly Skype calls ever since I've started, where I get a chance to hear about his day, and about his family, and about what's happening at the hospitals, and maybe some children that have been lost. Most recently, I learned about how they celebrate Christmas with lots of presents under the trees. No, no, it's not with lots of presents under the trees. And I get a chance to hear about what life in Congo is like. And it has been such a gift to me to hear and to learn about this specific culture. I have so much to learn. And together, we have begun discussing about how we, as the church, the covenant church in the United States, can come alongside them and empower them and the decisions that they are making and how is it that we can best come alongside them. But what I did not want to start out with was you over there, me over here. You over there with the need, and me over here with the bag of money, right? Did not want to start that way. And so we have been working on developing this relationship, this huge blessing that we have within the Paul Carlson Partnership to be coming alongside this church, this group of people, this extraordinary opportunity for us to be in relationship with people on the ground there. This is not a virtual reality. This is reality. These are people that we are coming to love and to know in the Congo. And this is why I'm so excited about my new job. This is what Paul Carlson Partnership is about. I was excited about knowing that there's this strong leadership team on the ground in Congo. We are supporting their five hospitals and 108 clinics. We're supporting their vision for a microprise microprise, um, development program. We're supporting their vision for what should happen within a nursing school. We're supporting their vision for how they expand a farmers to market program because what I'm excited about is that we're not a grant institution. We are a relational organization, and we're focusing on this opportunity for long-term partnership and sustainability. And that's what my hope and prayer is within the covenant denomination that we come together. It is my hope and prayer that a church will take each one of these hospitals and each one of these clinics, and together we will think about how we can get to know them, learn about Congo, and come alongside the people there. In addition to coming alongside the people there, it is my hope and prayer that we will continue to take steps forward for how we can develop a knowledgeable heart 
for Congo. That we would let this beautiful, rich, extraordinary country begin to infiltrate our own culture and our own church. And that we would begin to see that looking at the kingdom is not just through an American set of lenses, but that looking at the kingdom comes much broader when we get a chance to look at the kingdom from the set of lenses of a Congolese and hear the kinds of questions that they ask of Jesus and getting a broader picture of what God's great kingdom is. What a blessing this is we have within the covenant denomination with over 70 years of relationship in Congo and now to be building these partnerships so that we are not just rushing in to fix something, but we are coming alongside, we are walking alongside the people there. By learning about Congo and the conditions that they face and their medical realities, by learning from them, by building relationship from them, by recognizing that in humility, we might be different. We are honoring them as part of the sent church too. Today, these poor Christian people, these poor Christian people in Congo are my people. At this point, I already feel like I have developed relationships and learned so much from them that I can't say anything here to you without thinking of one of them standing right here beside me. And how would they feel with everything that I say? They have become my people. And through this opportunity to learn and an opportunity to identify, I am a different person. There's something about the privilege of being a part of another group of people that are from a slightly different age or station of life and the privilege of getting to know them that changes our worldview. Each year, our churches send short-term teams to serve the poor and the marginalized in the non-Western world. And we serve and we do something good. But perhaps something greater is achieved. Perhaps it is that we also receive something and that we are transformed. The disciples had to unlock those doors and begin being the sent church. It is very clear to me that the doors of Crossview Church are not locked. This is a church with unlocked doors that is mobilizing this church in a vital, generous way to be out there for the people such as in Congo and to seek to be all that Jesus wants you to be. But I want you to know your covenant brothers and sisters in Congo are seeking to do the exact same thing. They are a part of the sent church. And together, we will learn so much more about God's kingdom, 
not defined by a single culture because we are all a part of the sent church. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for this privilege. We thank you for this privilege that in this day and age, we can come to know other cultures around the world in even ways that couldn't happen decades ago. Lord, you open up our eyes to your kingdom and who you are through different prisms. And Lord, it is an extraordinary privilege to see your kingdom in another place. Help us, Lord, to continue to come alongside those that, where you would have us minister. Help us to be your people. Help us to continue to steward our resources. Help us, Lord, to be active, vital partners with our brothers and sisters in Congo. Thank you for who they are and for their desire to mobilize. And Lord, we pray that you bring us all together, that we would be worthy of your hand upon us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.